Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. No, the only time you're really going to be free and fulfilled is when, as a created being, you begin to walk in the way that He's created you to operate. But what you do need to do is just be a faithful representation of what you believe. Live it, live it boldly, don't hedge on anything, and just simply be who you are for the sake of Christ and the gospel and the church. And don't think about it in terms of like, did I make sure that they understood that I think they're wrong? In every generation, we need to evangelize the church. There is no Christian culture. Christianity is the message of God's Son sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to choose him or not? And I often tell people, people don't leave church because of God. Mm -hmm. They leave because of other people. Welcome back to the Sandhills Podcast. We are so excited to be in this new season. We're excited to be talking about all these different kind of concepts, right? We've got all these different things that we're looking at for what does it mean to really be alive? What does it mean to exist, right? What's the difference between those two things? And one of the things that I'm so excited about that we get to talk about today is how do we understand the importance of women in scripture, of women in ministry, and there's an entire book of the Bible about one of the most influential women in our entire Bible, in our entire faith, this woman who changed the world, and her name is Esther. And we're going to get to dive into the importance of Esther in Scripture and obviously Scripture to our lives. We're very excited for this conversation. And as a huge blessing, we've got Tim Kane, who's a pastor out in California. He wrote the book, The God of Great Reversals, The Gospel and the Story of Esther. He's on the show today. We're excited to get to talk to him about this stuff. Tim, welcome to the Sandhills Podcast. Yeah, th thanks, John. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us about your church, uh, about your ministry, and, and how you got into writing a book about Esther. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, so I'm married. I got three kids. And they're, they're amazing. And I planted in 2009 a little church that started with a few people. But it's a great, amazing family together. Uh, our churches, I love them. And so started a little church here in El Cajon, California in 2009. And so probably, I think about five years into it, kind of decided. We, we usually preach a New Testament book and an Old Testament book. And I, somebody got me to, to, to start looking at the book of Esther. And, it, you know, it was daunting for sure. But by the time I finished, like, preaching through the book, uh, just realized there was so many absolutely amazing things in the book that, yeah, one of the, one of the women in the church encouraged me. She's like, we should, we should uh, put together some sort of book on this, you, you know. And so uh, she got me working on it, and then she helped me edit it. And eventually, yeah, it, it came out. So I was very thankful for her pushing me. Her name's Charity. She was, she was great. That's amazing. Just to hear that, that, that Charity's desire for other people to hear how impactful Esther is from thousands of years ago, Charity stands up and says, you know, I think we should really do something with this. And because of her faithfulness to obey the Spirit, to prompt you to write the book, to lead to this conversation, that's going to go out to who knows how many people. 
How amazing is that? That's that. That's like Esther summed up. Is God working in amazing yeah. ways? No, for sure. I mean, it would. I definitely would have never happened without charity. I, I did not have the ambition, the ability to to do it. Uh, you know, the ideas I had, but uh, putting it in a book form and editing and those things, she really spearheaded that. And so, yeah, I'm so thankful for her. And uh, yeah, and I'm I'm thankful that we did it now. So praise God, man. Praise the Lord. Yeah, and and. and like I said at the beginning, you know, you, you wrote the book, The God of Great Reversals. And for those of you who are tuned in, those are going to be in the show notes. There's going to be a link to his book in the show notes. I've read it myself. I'm taking our young adults through it for our Bible study. It is amazing. And and, and Tim does, Tim, you do such a, I was about to talk about you in like the third person. You, <laughs> you, you do such a great job breaking down the gospel inside of a book that famously doesn't mention God explicitly. And so it's amazing to get to see that. What do you think is the importance of Esther to Scripture? It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. What's its importance? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think even that is one of the importances, you know, of the book. I, I, I thought of three different things that I can uh, just write off the top of my head. But, but show, I think one of them is that, that God shows us how he is at work, how he's keeping his promises, how he is rescuing and saving his people even when he doesn't show up supernaturally, right? And so in this book with not just nothing, no mention of God, but no visions, no miracles, no visible divine intervention, but once you're done with the story, when it's all said and done, it's like you can look back and you can see God so clearly on every single page. And, I mean, it, it, there's a biblical doctrine called providence that i think the whole book is just just shows us and it's just basically the way god directs the flow of human history through the ordinary lives of individuals in order to fulfill his promises that's what's happened in esther just god is using human history and he's even using a ton of negative aspects of human history the pride misuse of power abuse compromise all of these terrible uh you know things in history to ultimately lead to the salvation of his people and to the keeping of all of his promises. And, and I think that is really applicable to us today because a lot of us go through our lives and we don't necessarily encounter uh, these supernatural, like clear, like God speaking verbally to us or seeing supernatural miracles every single day. And, and, and sometimes it's easy to just look back on our lives and wonder, where is God? And so in the book of Esther, we get the whole story, and now we get to look back and see God on each page. And in our lives, in the middle of the story, a lot of times it's really hard to see God. And so I think God is gracious and given us a completed story that lets us see him in the middle, um, which then teaches us, I think, how to see him in the middle of our story. Uh, you know, a second thing that I think uh, is amazing about the book is just each section of the book there's just some powerful truths about life that i found to just be amazingly applicable to our context uh you know you have this a uh, uh, people god's people growing up in a pagan culture that doesn't share their views and they're trying to figure out how do we how do we seek to navigate our way through a culture that doesn't believe what we believe and, and it actually becomes hostile to what we believe. How do we, how do we continue to navigate our way through this? Um, 
and, and in a way that's faithful to God. And so that's one of the questions that, that they're wrestling with in the book of Esther. And then, like you mentioned earlier, one of my favorite things is just the idea and just being able to see the gospel, the beautiful story of God's plan of saving sinners, uh, you know, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, how you see that foreshadowed in the book of Esther. I, I, I really enjoyed that. That was one of my favorite things. Like, how do you see the gospel in a book where the name of God isn't even mentioned? And at first, you know, I, I approached it and I was like, I don't know the answer to that question. And then the more, um, you know, I got into the story, the more just it, it, it began to just serve as this amazing, oftentimes contrast to the gospel um, and this foil in which the rest of the story of the gospel uh, looked even more beautiful because of it. I, I love what you said just then, where you said, you know, I, I wasn't sure how to approach that question in light of Esther until you dove, dove into it and started looking for it. And I think that that's a huge, huge aspect of this book that it invites us to approach it with deep thinking in mind, because if God's not mentioned explicitly or he doesn't show up supernaturally, then the author is very clearly inviting us to look deeply into it and see him at work. And that takes intentionality on our part as the readers. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're totally right. That like it, it's it's purposeful. He's he's not mentioned on purpose as an invitation to find him, right? And an invitation to see what he's doing. And that's that's really the story of our lives, right? Like a lot of times we don't see him showing up uh, with the clarity necessarily that we want to, and so we have to learn how to recognize him in in the ordinary aspects of, of life. Yes. So so many of us are just you know begging for god to to give us the clear sign or, or show up in this mm-hmm. way and yep. he and he's so gently reminding us look for me seek me yeah. look for me intentionally yeah. and you will find me intentionally uh and, and this i mean man what a what a master class in how to see that happen in esther and she teaches yep. us this in these things and so we see an incredible doctrine of providence, like you said, in, in Esther. We see the truths about life in Esther. We see how God deals with his people in Esther. These are hugely important topics, and they're all addressed here in Esther. So so why do you think that, that a book that has so much to offer seems to be so undertaught in our churches? Yeah, I mean— I was thinking about that. I think story, I think the Old Testament in general, right? If you just think about it, like the Old Testament, the New Testament is, is, is far more taught in churches than, than the Old Testament. And, and especially like if you take out like the really popular maybe stories of the Old Testament. Um, so I think that's part of it. It's, 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 the New Testament's closer to us in terms of our understanding, our, our way of life, things like that. And, and it's like less cultural gap. I think story is, harder uh a lot of times to kind of see because they don't just come out clearly and tell you the main point right you know you have to like read the story and try to understand it and and grasp it uh i think the fact that god isn't mentioned like you said requires uh a digging you know that it's not it's not you know just right on the surface you know you can't just you know, read it and kind of know what it says and then just kind of tell some, some illustrations about it. It, it, it really takes, um, you know, some, some, some contemplation and some thinking to see where is God, you know, in, in this story. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, I think all of those things, uh, and then 
you know, I do think there's almost a Sunday school version of the story that doesn't seem to apply. It seems very distant from our lives. You know, like we just kings and princesses and, you know, and, and queens and, and things like that to just feel distant. And, um, you know, and so I think at, at the surface that can be daunting. And, you know, what, what I found is that the deeper you go, the more you start to see like their culture, their setting um, is actually just so close. I mean, a culture where everything is judged by appearances. Mm. That's, that's our culture, a culture that values power and wealth and, you know, just going after more and more. Um, you know, those, those are just so clearly a culture that, that pushes people to conformity and to compromise. Uh, all of that is, uh, you know, in a culture where God is not showing up supernaturally, you know, every couple of days, like, you know, the, the wilderness wanderings or something where you have manna every single day. Right. Or, or a pillar of fire or, or right, you know, right. or one of smoke. And, you know, even for, you know, people like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you know, you're not really getting God talking to them, but you're getting them surviving a furnace. You know, that's right. amazing. Right. Or you see Daniel and, you know, you just see him faithfully praying and he's preserved in the lion's den. You know, in the Old Testament, we hear God speak explicitly and we see him show up very clearly like that. And then we see him show up supernaturally. What do you think's some of the benefit of having a, a, a book of scripture where he's not showing up in either way, supernaturally or, you know, verbally? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just relates to our lives, you know, and, and I think it, it, that, I think the question that, that we're asking is like in the middle of our lives where everything feels to be going, working, where our circumstances are working against God's promises, you know, and working against like the truth, you know, like when we feel like we're alone, you know, that's working against the, the promise of God that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And, and when we feel, when, when our circumstances and feelings are really making us question uh, the things the Bible says, if God doesn't show up, you know, supernaturally, how, how do those, how do his promises get kept? You know, and here he shows us, like, I am fully capable of keeping all of my promises and saving all of my people without showing up supernaturally. In one sense, it's actually more impressive. Uh, when you read the book, you know, because it's almost like not having to resort to the supernatural to save his people from certain deaths. Uh, it, it's, it's honestly kind of, uh, it, it's mind-blowing, all of the little things that, that God does to rescue his people. Um, you know, so it's just a very different story than like the parting of the Red Sea. Um, in this story, they're in just as much danger as they were in front of the Red Sea. You know, yeah to kill all of them and God finds a way without showing up supernaturally to rescue his people against all odds. And it's, it's beautiful just to see God's power, you know? And, and I think it's like the verse that I was thinking when you were talking earlier was like Genesis 28, where Jacob goes to sleep and he has a vision. And then he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. Mm. And he's basically talking about like when I went to sleep last night, God was here. 
Yeah. And I was unaware of it. And it took this dream to help me see him. And here it's like that what he's trying to show us is God is at work even when his people are unaware of him. And we're supposed to like read it and then see surely God is at work in our lives mm. even when we're not aware of it. Absolutely. You, you say in your book, I think really well, it highlights that entire aspect. You say we've got to look for the hidden hand of God in our lives. You mentioned that a few times throughout the book. What does that mean? One, how does it show up in Esther? How do we look for the hidden hand of God in Esther? And then what are ways that with your study of it and, and even leading a church and doing ministry, how do you look for it? In, you know, how do yeah. you look for the hidden hand of God? Because it's so easy to say, hey, you guys should, you know, be aware of this, intentional, look for it. How, how have you seen that show up practically and in the book as well? I mean, in, in the book, it's helpful because, like, in life, we're in the middle of the story. And in the middle of the story doesn't always make sense, right? And in the middle of the story, actually, like, a lot of things can seem to go against the the a lot of conflict you know a lot of things go against maybe the outcome that you're desiring uh and then you get to the end of the story and all of a sudden all the bad parts of the story make sense they fall into line but they didn't make sense in the middle of it and so one of the things by looking at this story you know in the middle of it it would have been really hard for esther or mordecai to see what god was doing you know um but by the time you get to the end as the readers were able to look back and were able to see all oh, God was at work. Um, and a lot of it is like knowing that he was at work and knowing that he is at work is the first step. You know, mm. like, cause, cause once we, when we start to doubt that he's with us and that he's doing something, well then we're not going to see it. You can't see it through doubt. You know, yeah. when you're doubting that it's there. And so part of it is like, the first step is I believe that God is at work, even though I don't see him, even though it's not clear. And that, that, that first step of faith, that, that, and, and that faith isn't like blind, it's based on books like the book of Esther, and it's based on the fact that God has so far throughout history kept every single one of his promises, so he has an amazing track record. Uh, but you, you believe, I believe he is, and so it starts with that, you know, and, and then through faith and believing that he is at work, um, I think we're able then to... Uh, to then start to, to kind of dig deeper and look just like you were saying, you know, like where you're, you're, you're becoming more, more curious instead of skeptical, you know, uh, where you're like, where, okay, God, I know God is at work. So now I just have to discover how, um, and, you know, I think that, that like there's a verse in first Corinthians, we, I've been thinking about it just says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Mm. Um, and so just that idea, like gratitude is just, like realizing every single thing that we have that's good in our lives um, is a gift from God. That's James one seventeen, And so, uh, and, and first Timothy four talks about how it's through gratitude um, that we take the gifts of God and we sanctify them. You know, they're made holy through the word of God and prayer as, as we give thanks. Um, and so basically just saying, okay, it starts with what are the good things in my life and slowing down and just, God is at work. If he's not at work, then you don't see him in the good things, you know. But if he's at work, then you start with the good things and, and you're grateful for them. And if he's at work, then you go to your the bad things and all of a sudden your anxieties and your fears become reasons to run to God for, for help.
help and, and, and like almost like how are you going to instead of like, you know, where are you? What are you doing? But but even there, that's great. You're going to him, you know, but like, how are you going to use him for your good? What where are you? I need your help, you know, and so, you know, instead of anxiety and just stewing in and snowballing in, you know, our fears, we take them to God and we say, God, I believe that you're at work in my story even though I don't see you. So here's the broken parts that I need you to fix. You know, mm. and, and so gratitude, need, um, and, and, and you can see how they play off each other because when when you're living in dependence upon God, going to him in your need, then when he answers something, you're, you're much more likely to give him the credit, right? You know, like, yeah. uh, whereas where you're just going through life and you're anxious about something and, and then you finally get it, sometimes you can miss giving God the credit because you're just so relieved to not be anxious about it anymore. Yeah. You might just say, Oh, you know what? Good luck. What good fortune. Yeah. It's like, God, yeah. God is way too specific and intentional for that to have just been luck. That That's yeah. wonderful. And, and that, that made me think of so often in the old Testament, one of the most important things you hear them say is remember, you know, remember, mm-hmm. remember, dwell on, recite to yourself. You know, the, the Hebrew word for when they're talking about think on these things is, is similar to just kind of lightly murmuring to yourself, you know, like talking out loud and saying it and remembering it and remembering it and remembering it. And you realize some of the most powerful stories in Scripture, specifically the Old Testament, happen when people remember God. Not that he's even just showing up like, bam, I'm right here. But they remember him. Joseph remembers just the story. I mean, he didn't get the covenant like his forefathers did. He, but he was told the stories, and he remembers who the God of his father is, and he remembers him, and it changes the course of history. And you see all of these exiles from from the from the promised land, and they're remembering, and it changes how they live. It changes how Daniel lives. It changes how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live. It changes how Esther lives. And Mordecai, because you get later in the story, and he remembers, right? Because then he goes, look, even if you don't save everyone, salvation will arise from some other place. He remembers that God can do it. But he's going, hey, yep. maybe maybe it's for you. So that remembrance is so powerful and so important. And I'm I'm so happy you hit on that because that is, that is such an incredible reminder for us to remember who our God is, remember who our Savior is. And and when you remember, you're going to start seeing that hidden hand of God like you talk about pop up in a lot of places because he's involved, because he cares, because he wants to show you how wonderful he is. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. And one of the crazy things, just that you're bringing up remember. So, like, this is kind of getting ahead in the sense of it's the whole story. But but at the end of the book of Esther, they celebrate the, the God's, victory right god showing up and saving his people with the feast of purim and the feast of purim was something that they celebrated every single year and during the feast they would read the entire book of esther and the whole point was because he wanted his people to remember and he wanted them to remember that in the middle of their stories in the darkest days when all hope seems lost when god isn't showing up like you expect or want him to when it feels like there's zero chance, like like at the low point of the book of Esther, it looks like a 0% chance, you know, like a 0.01% chance. God is at work all the time to rescue his people and to keep all of his promises.
promises. And I, I just think about like God's kindness in having them celebrate the Feast of Purim and read this book every single year. Think about the 400 years of silence in between the Testaments. 400 years where God isn't showing up supernaturally, but he wants his people to know by the book of Esther that he's there, that he's at work. And, and, and just remembering that even when you can't see him. And, and I was thinking as I, as I worked on this book, that feast and that idea just, what, what blew me away is even like God's tenderness to be even thinking of his son Jesus and, uh, and recognizing that there would be a day that would be dark and a day when it would look like all of God's promises were failing and a day where everybody else would 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 grow skeptical and feel like God had abandoned them and be overwhelmed. But one person uh, would remember the Feast of Purim. One person would remember that even when you can't see God, he's still at work. You know, and on the cross, you have Jesus experiencing the darkest day in the universe. And, and it ends with him saying, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit because he's trusting that the God is going to show up and that I'm going to trust him and that even when it all looks bleak, he keeps his promises, he saves his people, he's the God of great reversals, even death cannot stop him. And then, of course, what happens, right? We have the greatest reversal in the universe where God comes and three days later, he proves his son right for trusting in him. Uh, And even though everyone else forgot, his son remembered, he raises him from the dead. And then it's kind of cool to think now we kind of have a feast that's also about remembering, you know, and how Jesus then institutes the feast of communion to remind us that God is at work even when we don't see him, that God is able to use even the worst things in the world to turn them into good, uh, that God can take the death of his son and use it to conquer sin, death, and Satan. Uh, and so it's almost like communion is now our Purim, where we remember that God is at work even when it doesn't look that way, uh, just like he was at work on that Good Friday, on the cross, even when it seemed like he was absent. Yeah, and it's so amazing. I mean, you just pulled out so wonderfully the the gospel inside of the story that's I mean definitely doesn't mention Jesus right but you just yeah. pulled out the gospel story in this showing us how Esther's teaching us about Christ's sacrifice showing us about the nature of God how he accomplishes things how his ways aren't our ways how he's setting up chains of events that are absolutely wild and then and then even linking it to communion and how how that that's a wonderful link of communion and purim and remembering and walking in light of that is and so you see these really positive of examples of the book of Esther and the things that she's doing and the things that Mordecai's doing but really famously inside of this book Esther intentionally conceals her people and her kindred and she does it on the orders of Mordecai and Mordecai is intentionally you know hiding himself as well it seems and it seems like like they're compromising everything that they believe and it seems confusing because I mean based off everything you just said it, it looks like compromise is rewarded in this story 
and so we're trying to kind of does that does that mean that compromise is okay? What does that look like? I mean, I, I think first there's there's two ways that people read the story of Esther. You know, some people read it uh, and they make Esther the uh, like it, she's the hero and she's clearly the hero, but she's got to be perfect to be the hero. And so then you kind of read back and anything that creates cognitive dissonance, you you have to kind of uh, gloss over or make it justify it somehow so you kind of try to read the compromise out of it you know because i think what, what what we see is that yeah esther is the hero and what she does works and so the question you have two questions you have to either read back through the story and remove all the compromise which some people do um or you have to acknowledge the compromise and then you're stuck with that quandary does compromise work was it the right angle and, and i think First, I, I do think that there is a level of compromise, um, but I think it's it's obviously like um, it, you don't want to throw Esther under the bus because it's it's the same kind of compromise that you and I make all the time, right? That mm. she she conceals her faith, she doesn't deny her faith, she just conceals it, right? Uh, you know, even but but I do think the Bible's setting her up in and showing th- that that she is compromising because it's the very same like uh, just a, a little bit different period of time, but not much different in the same context. You have Daniel refusing to eat the unclean food, you mm. know, taking a stand, uh, being clear about his beliefs, praying in public. And then you have Esther, who um, ironically, she has two names in the book, Hadassah and Esther. And it's like basically trying to show that you've got these, this woman that's trying to live in two worlds, the, the Jewish Hadassah, you know, and, and the Persian Esther and like, um, and she's just tugged between them and, and she gets taken up. It's like this passive verb taken up by the king into this other world. And it does seem like there's compromise involved in concealing her faith, eating unclean, which would have required her to eat all the unclean foods, to violate all those laws. Um, you know, a night with the king is clearly, you know, speaking of like sexual activity and things like that. So that would have clearly been violating God's law. And then even marrying a pagan king is, is clearly violating yeah. God's law. Um, and so that you see that there are compromises. On the other hand, you recognize like within the story, what it's like, what if she wouldn't have compromised? You'd be like, well, she would definitely not be queen. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like she, she probably, her life, seemingly would have had a ton of suffering in it if she didn't compromise. So the stakes were insanely high. Um, and, and and the other thing I think you see then is it's interesting that God doesn't show up in Esther. And one of the issues is Esther relies on compromise to get where she's at. Uh, and so there's, there's almost a sense where she's not, she doesn't need God. Like she's not, she's not, depending on God to show up like she is, she's got a plan B, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is, this is my angle. Like, you know, and Mordecai is the same angle. And you think about it, you already mentioned Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and think about them. Like they didn't, they abandoned everything and just says, God shows up or I'm dead. Those yeah. are my only two options. And so like, that's what refusing to compromise looks like. God shows up or I'm dead. Esther, it, she does that like in chapter four, right? When she finally says, if I perish, I perish, you know, that, and then, and that's where she finally like turns. But up until then, she's got another plan in case God doesn't show up. 
Yeah. You know, and, and she does. And, and it is interesting that when we don't, and so that is part of the answer, is that when we don't compromise, um, God does show up uh, in the sense of he always keeps his promises and he never requires compromise to keep his promises. So uh, in Daniel and in, 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 in Meshach and Abednego, he doesn't require compromise. When they don't compromise, he still keeps his promises. Mm. So really what you're seeing is compromise can't stop him from keeping his promises. In other words, God, the reason that it works is because God promised that he would save his people. Um, And God was going to save his people whether or not Esther compromised. He didn't need her compromise to do it. He would have done it if she wouldn't have compromised. But because she compromised didn't mean he's not going to do it. And that's the beauty of the gospel and of our God is that he is so amazing that he keeps his promises even when his people compromise and even Mm. when his people fail to trust him. And I know there are a lot of people and especially like in the book, you know, we, we go through and show the areas where Esther did compromise. There's a lot of people that are like offended by that. Um, because they they built up Esther to be like more of a hero, you know, to be like a, a, a perfect hero, yeah, you know, to be uncompromising. But the, the 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 beauty of it is, is like when you say Esther, when I say that Esther's a compromiser, I'm not trying to say she's not a hero. Mm. Uh, what I'm trying to say is she's the exact same kind of hero that we have on every other page of the Bible. Mm. She's a compromising hero. You know, Moses murdered somebody. Uh, Abraham, you know, lies about, uh, you know, his wife sleeps with Hagar. David sleeps with, you know, Bathsheba. Mm. Like the, the story, Peter denies Jesus. Paul is a persecutor of the truth, of the church. Like the story of the Bible is the story about how God takes compromises and he rescues them and he changes them bit by bit into vessels that he can use for the salvation and the rescue of his people. And in my mind, it makes that story of Esther so much more beautiful to recognize that she isn't as good as we thought she was, but God still used her. And it's good news because the truth is you and I are not as good as we think we are, Mm. but God can still use us. And so there's hope for compromises. And the reality is there is only one hero in the Bible it doesn't compromise. Uh, and I was thinking about it just for a second, because this will be another way that we get to the gospel. It's just crazy. But like, think about compromise. Like, right, what compromise is tempting in order to get something amazing, right? So we're tempted to compromise in order to get something amazing. The other temptation to compromise is in order to avoid something terrible, right? So we might compromise into avoid getting fired right? Because that'd be something bad we want to avoid. Or we might compromise in order to get a promotion. It's something good. Uh, And I want you to think, in the Bible, in like Matthew 4, we have the greatest temptation to compromise in the history of the universe. Jesus is taken up on a high mountain. He's shown all the cities in the world. And he has offered those cities if he will simply compromise. So think about it. No one in all of history has ever controlled all the cities of the world um, and had them bow to him. So that's the greatest temptation in the history of the world. But then that's not just what he would get if he if he compromises, but 
Jesus also knows what he gets if he doesn't compromise. If he doesn't compromise, he's going to get the cross and the sins of all of his people upon his shoulders and the darkest, most devastating, most painful day in all of human history. And so never has there been a greater gap between what is offered for compromise and what will be given for not compromising wow. in Jesus' face on that mountain. And what does he do? He chooses not to compromise. He says, you shall worship God and God alone. And he gives us the picture of what happens when you don't compromise. It, it, it doesn't mean that everything's easy. Sometimes like the bad things actually happen when we don't compromise. Sometimes you do get fired for not compromising. Sometimes you get hung on a cross for not compromising. Mm. But in the end, he gets risen again from the dead, seated above all at the right hand of the Father with a name that is above every name. And he gets all the glory of all the nations so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And he gets it without compromise. And the truth is that's, that, that shows us that even when compromise seems to work, it's God's grace that allows it to work despite the compromise, not because of it. And mm. so Esther's not uh, an invitation to follow her and her compromise, but rather it's a encouragement for the compromises of our past that God is still able to use us. And it's a call to courageous, faithful dependence upon him for our future. And you even see that in the story of Esther because the compromises are, are in the first few chapters. But then remember in chapter four, where Mordecai comes and he says, like, you need to go talk to the king. Um, but if you don't, what's he say? If you don't, God was going to save us another way. Mm. Um, and so Mordecai knows God is going to save us, but if you want to be a part of it, the compromise has to stop, and you have to trust God. You just have you have to you have to say who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, and so it's not a story about actually compromise working. In the end, uh, nothing. You know, like uh, the 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 people are in danger all the way up until she stops compromising, and they're still in danger even. You know, until finally. you know, God uses her courage, but it's her courage that he uses to ultimately save the people. And so he doesn't use her compromise to save so much as he uses her courage. Mm. But on the other hand, you can see that, um, that God has promised, what's he say in Romans eight twenty eight? He uses all things. Mm. That means he even uses the sins, the past sins and failures of his people to accomplish his work. And so he uses her past failures. But ultimately, you know, uh, it's, he transforms her from the compromiser into the courageous queen who reveals who she is, who risks her life to save God's people. And, uh, and even there, you see a beautiful picture of the gospel. Man, this, is, this has been such a wonderful conversation around a book that is so often forgotten in our churches, in our Bible studies, in our quiet times. And I think that this is going to be just a huge blessing and benefit to so many people who are going to hear it and who are going to go, man, maybe I should check out, you know, this Esther book and and see what's going on here. And so I I would just ask you, as we kind of wrap up here, if you could say one thing to every person that's going to listen to this, what's the one thing you would say to them about this book and about Esther? 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we see in, in the book of Esther is just it, it like lays bare the it kind of lays bare the emptiness of our culture's promises, you know, mm. and and it shows us that as beautiful and alluring as the things of this world might be, Jesus is even better. And so it it, it kind of takes the best this world offers and it shows us the emptiness of it through the life of the king, through the life of Haman. Uh, and then it shows us uh, the, 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 the beauty of the gospel comes in and it shows us that we have a better king than Ahasuerus. Uh, and we have a better kingdom that God is offering his people than, than that kingdom. A kingdom that uh, is, is eternal, unshakable, lasting. And so, uh, you know, I, I just think seeing the beauty of Jesus uh, specifically through contrast, you know, how he's different than Ahasuerus, how uh, he's different than Haman, you know, how he's even different than Esther, like I just showed, in terms of compromising and not compromising. And just, I think the book shows us over and over again just the beauty of Jesus through contrast. And I, I just think it, it can move us to just want to worship him and just to realize, like, we need the 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 things of this world to be defanged. Like we need them to get to loosen their grip on us. And the book exposes their weaknesses and folly in order to loosen their grip. And then it shows us something better in order to draw our affections. You know, the expulsory power of a greater affection, a, mm. a better king, a more beautiful kingdom, a greater love. Um, you know, like Esther, it's all about like, she takes 12 months. Like the king won't even look at these women until they take 12 months to make themselves more beautiful, you know? And it's like mm -hmm. such a culture of performance. And so many of us live under this weight of performance. You know, even think about having to make yourself look good before you can let anyone see you, you know? Like we, we've bought into these beautifying treatments to this idea that to be loved, you have to be good. And, and the Bible tells us about a king that you don't have to clean yourself up for you don't have to work for a year to get beautiful enough before you can see him in his presence. But a king who came down and shed his blood so that he could wash us and cleanse us. And he makes us beautiful through his love. And he loves us while we were yet sinners, beautifies us with his love. And, and, and then now he presents us holy and blameless before his sight, uh, you know, in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And, you know, as I, you know, to me, it's just seeing and beholding the beauty and worth of Jesus uh, and, and seeing that he's better than the things of this world. That, that's what I would hope someone would get uh, out of the book of Esther and out of, you know, the book to go out of great reverses. So. Man, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Tim, for being on the show and, and coming out and, and talking to us about this. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. It was, it was great. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Tim's book, The God of Great Reversals, is available on Amazon. You can search it just by The God of Great Reversals. You can do what I did to find it, which was just Google great books about Esther, and it popped right up. So go ahead and check it out. It's a phenomenal read. You will not regret it. Thanks so much for tuning in, and Tim, thank you again. Yep, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Sandhills Podcast. This episode was created, designed, and written by John David. Our guest was Tim Kane. Facilities were at Sandhills Community Church, set designed by Eric and Sean Weiner. 
Our intro song is Same Blood by King's Kaleidoscope. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend to support the Sandhills podcast.